You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 21 uh, today, the very end of this wonderful book of the Bible. Uh, we have uh, been in this. Uh, some of you were not even part of our church when we started this book of the Bible. We've taken two whole school years uh, to go through this book of the Bible. It's long. There's a lot in it. So it's not felt rushed uh, or delayed, I mean, to me. It certainly has not felt rushed. It's not felt uh, overly extended to me. But I'm sad to, to have this book be in our rearview mirror next week. But I'm excited for more uh, to come. But uh, it is Mother's Day today. And I was doing a lot of thinking about my mom, as probably many of you have. Uh, over the last few days, and, and hopefully today you can find ways to honor those mothers in your life. Um, but as I was thinking about my mom, there's I, w- I feel like I in some ways won the mom lottery. Uh, we don't get to pick our moms. We don't get to uh, choose who they are, but I love my mom to death. I am so grateful for her, and there's countless things I could tell you about her, uh, but one thing that I remember very vividly, and I was confirming this with my siblings uh, over text, Uh, yesterday was a song that she would sing to us when we were little kids. Uh, And even as we got a bit older, she would as well. Uh, There's a song called Que Sera Sera. How many of you have heard of that before? Okay, more than what I thought. Okay, so I don't have to explain a ton about it necessarily. But this was a song my mom would come into our room at night when we were having a a tough time falling asleep as young kids will sometimes or we were anxious or we were afraid. She would come into our room. Uh, Many of you know I have a twin brother. She would sing this to us in our room uh, together. And this song uh, was from back in the 1950s. It was sung by a a woman named Doris Day. But it's a song that speaks into the experience of human beings of looking to the future and being afraid or being curious at minimum. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? And this, it's this song, and it's sung in the, the first-person uh, voice of a woman who is recalling her childhood, and how her mom would tell her this refrain. And then as she grew up and, and now had a man that she was interested in being with and was imagining the future with him, there was a similar saying he would say to her to help calm uh, her as she looked to the future. And then as she finally comes and grows into adulthood, Uh, and has children of her own, she now has her own kids asking her questions about the future and what it entails and what's going to happen, Mom. And she has this same phrase that was once said to her. Now she can tell them. Uh, And I I have debated whether to try to sing the chorus for you or not. God gives us different (laughs) gifts, and I don't necessarily think that um, my gift is music, but I wanted you to hear at least what the chorus sounds like in my paltry attempt at singing it. It goes something like this. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. I have thought, have my mind, hey, no, you don't need to applaud for that. That, uh, (laughs) That's why I don't stand over here and leave on Sundays. Uh, But I wanted you to at least hear it because songs don't pop when you just see the lyrics. I remember my mom singing that to me probably hundreds of times uh, and the calm that it would give me as a young boy uh, when I didn't even know what the words were. But as I got to hear the song and the lyrics of it as an older uh, boy and now a man, even as I was looking at it this week, it's more and more meaningful to me. That, that phrase, whatever will be, will be. And the future's not ours to see. What will be, will be. And that there's this calmness that should come over us, especially as the people of God, as we look to an unknown future 
as we look to uncertainties and maybe anxious or nervous or fearful of those things that are ahead of us, the Lord would want to speak calmness into us, speak confidence and courage into us as his people. And that's exactly what this ending of the Gospel of John, I think, talks about, is this unknown future that lies ahead of us and the Lord seeking to work calm, to work peace and confidence into us. And so we're going to approach these last handful of verses of the Gospel of John today uh, as people, all of us in this room, who have unknown paths before us. We have uncertainties, every single one of us in our life, but I think this text will speak uh, to us very clearly. So we're up to the very end of the Gospel of John. John, for 21 chapters now, is recorded about the life of Jesus, the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus did, uh, about most particularly his death and his resurrection. He's even most recently talked about the ways he started appearing to his disciples after he'd been raised. And what we're going to read now is when he has appeared for the third time to his disciples, uh, and he just had a conversation with Peter where he lovingly reminded him of his sins. And he had just told him, right before what we're about to read today, he had just told Peter, you are going to die for me. You are going to be crucified for me. And so he had given him some insight into his future. But that's where we're going to pick up the story, and more questions will unravel in Peter's mind. So follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 20 of John chapter 21, and we're going to read to the end, and then we'll walk back through this text uh, and see what the Lord would have to say to us. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that? you. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. This is the word of God. Uh, there is, is much that, that we can learn, I think, even from this ending of the Gospel of John. Um, but the, the way I would summarize what I, I think the Lord would have to say to us through this text today would very simply be this, to follow Christ on the path he's laid out for you. Follow Christ on the path that he has laid out for you. Uh, this is a simple message uh, that we see uh, Peter telling Jesus, but there is depth to that. There's complexity and difficulty to that task. That sounds easy on paper or on a screen. Follow him on the path he's laid out for you. But in real life, it's difficult. There's a, a lot of things either we do know are coming in the future or things we don't know about the future that can stir up all sorts of things in our hearts. But we are called, just like Peter was called, to follow Jesus down the path he's laid out for us, whatever that might be. And I, I want to share two main points I think you, you see in this text, particularly in verse 22. But the first one is going to be this. As we think about the path that lays ahead of us, think, I want you to think about your future today. Think about the path of life that is ahead of you. I want you to remember first and see from this text, I want you to see Christ as the designer of your path. 
Christ is the designer of your path. We're going to sit in this idea and see it in this text for a little while. As, as this story picks up, Peter and Jesus are walking, it seems like, along the side of the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus has just laid this heavy information on Peter that you're going to be crucified. Your hands are going to be stretched out, Peter. Death is going to come for you even sooner than you want it to. And so he's just had this bomb dropped on him in some sense. But they're walking along the side of sea, the Sea of Tiberias. And Peter looks behind them, supposedly, and sees at least John there, this disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who's writing this. He sees him there. And having just heard what his life is going to entail, at least partially, Peter looks at John and in our natural human instinct compares his fate with John's and says, Jesus, what about this man? And there's this instinct in him to want to know what is going to happen to everybody else, uh, to want to commiserate, to want them to have a similar fate. But you notice that Jesus, do you see that he doesn't really answer him? He says, uh, what, what about this man in verse 21? And Jesus doesn't explicitly tell him what's going to happen to John. He, he, he's told him some of what's going to happen to him, but he doesn't give him a lot of clarity about what's going to happen to John. How does he respond? He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? That's an interesting response. And John, I think, would want us first and wanted those that are reading this throughout time to notice how Jesus started that sentence. He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come. Because it seems like you look in verse 23, for example, it seems that some of the disciples who were there with them heard Jesus say this, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you, Peter? And they had missed the first word, if. And they had started to, to grow this idea that John was going to never die, that he was going to stay alive until that day, whenever it was, that Jesus would someday return from heaven. This, this idea had grown that John was going to live to see that, that, that he was not going to die, no matter how old he got, that, that he, as long as he was alive, there was confidence that Jesus would come back soon. And John, I think, as he wrote this Gospel of John, he was most likely, as far as we can tell, he was an old man at this point. He was getting towards the end of his life, and he knew people had believed that if he died, man, that must have meant Jesus didn't know the future, that, or that Jesus had mis, misdirected us, misguided us. And John is wanting to alleviate that fear. He wants the readers to know, if I die, that, that is not saying anything about what Christ said. He didn't say that I would remain alive till he comes. He said, if I, uh, if I allow him to stay alive till I come, what is that? you and john john wanted the readers i appreciate that he wanted us to know hey if i die jesus is still coming back like don't worry about that he is going to come back and so he starts with that word if but then he continues and says some things that are more pointed i think to us today he says if and then note what he says he says if it is my will that he remain until i come and so Jesus is talking about hypotheticals. He's talking about this possibility that if, if he wanted John to remain until he comes, then, then he, he would do that. He would ensure that. But I want you to see what Jesus is definitely saying. He's talking about hypotheticals, but he's also definitely conveying something to us, and that is this, that the paths of his disciples are determined by his will. He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? He's, he's letting 
Peter uh, know this. He's letting John know this, that whatever lies ahead of you, whatever lies in, the, in store for you along the path of your life, it's because I have willed it. It's because I've designed, I've gone before you and I've designed this path, all the bright spots, all the dark spots, all the uphills, all the downhills, all the, all the, the, the potholes, all the everything, all the blissful spots, I've designed it for you. That is my will for your life. And he wanted Peter to know this, that, that if, as we look to the future, he wanted Peter to know, Peter, it's not just that I know what's going to happen to you, like that I anticipate it, that I, I can see it in advance, but I have designed it for you. Like it is my will that you walk down that path. It is my will that you go down this path. And we see, at least in this text, he's saying that part of his will for his disciples at least has to do with the length of their life, right? And we know he's already talked about the nature of their death. He told Peter, I already know how you're going to die. I know when you're going to die. So at minimum, he's saying, part of my will, part of my design is, is knowing when your path is ending and knowing how it's ending. But implied in that is that all the twists and turns along the way are designed by him as well. That if, he, if anything happens in our life, it's because he has willed it. It's because he has designed this path for us. And there are, are stark differences in our lives, aren't there? If we just did a poll amongst this room of all the, the twists and turns that your lives have had, we would have so many. There would be as many different stories as there are people in this room. But Christ has designed each and every one of your paths. Past and present and future. But he, he is the one who goes before you and is already knowing what's going to take place, already designing the days and weeks and months and hopefully years that are remaining of your life. Every detail comes from his design. Every part of it is his will. There are some parts of life, there are some entire lives that are pleasant and some that are painful. Like there are some parts of life that are delightful and some parts of our paths that are dark. There's some parts of our path where we have tons of people around us and it's joyous. And there are parts of our path where we are alone and we feel discouraged and afraid. There are some uphills. There are some downhills. There are some paths in this room that will be long. Where you'll get the privilege of living long in life, late into your 90s, 100. You will get to live a long path, walk down a long path of life. But there are some in this room, and were we not reminded of this in our community this week with the passing of Mitch Titus, there are some of our paths that are short. Shorter than we think they should be. Shorter than we long them to be. But every detail from the length of our life to the twists and turns of it is designed by Christ. It is His will for us. When we, when we sing that song, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, that could feel like it's just kind of this, well, life's going to happen to me, and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to kind of let it be out there. I, th- I think without sounding corny, a better line for us as Christians to say would be to say this, whatever he wills will be. Everything in your life, the next couple seconds, the next couple days, the next several years, is given to you by his hand. He is designing your path, whatever it has in store. And so that's why he says, it is my will. If it is my will, I'm in control of every part of your life, Peter, every part of John's life, and I'm not going to always reveal it to you. But I'm in control. I'm designing his path. 
And he, he ends that statement by saying to Peter, he says, if that's my will that he remains, I appreciate this. He says, what is that to you? What is that to you, Peter? Like, you want to know what is going to happen to John? Why does that matter as far as how you follow and walk down your path that I've laid out for you? It doesn't. Like, I may have an entirely different plan for the life of John than I have for your life, but what is that to you? I've designed your path. Like, walk in it. Follow me down it. Walk down the path I have laid out for you. And I was thinking of this uh, as young kids. I know I did this. I'm assuming all of us do this as kids and thinking about moms. I don't envy their task or us as dads either where we have little kids who when we tell them to do something, if they have siblings, often the quickest response that they have is, why doesn't she have to do that? Why do I have to do that by myself? Uh, And we said those things as kids. We hear them uh, from our kids. And often as parents, we need to respond with things like, Do what you are told to do. Mind your own business, we can say lovingly. Uh, Take care. uh, My dad would say this to me often. uh, He would say, taking care of yourself is a full-time job. Like, don't worry about everybody else. Like, do what you are told to do. And and we have to do that. But we don't grow out of that questioning as kids. Peter's doing that as an apostle of Christ. Saying, well, what about him? And that happens in our lives too, especially when we have unpleasant fates, unpleasant turns of life that come to us. We say, why doesn't everybody else have to deal with that? Like, why is that on my path? Like, why can't you put that on somebody else's? Like, you're in control of all things. Put me on an easier path. Put me on a simpler path. But Jesus would say to us as we look enviously at other people's paths, what is that to you? I've designed your path. I have crafted it for you, every part of it, every twist of it. I have designed for you, even the hard and difficult parts. Remembering Christ as the designer of our path should have a deep impact on us as we think about our future. One one way that as we remember that Christ designs our path in the future, one effect that should have on us is that we should be thankful in the sweet times. Maybe you're in a pleasant part of your path right now. And it is easy in those moments when when the the path is favorable to us to forget that that path was designed by God. That those are gifts of his grace to you. That you have health and ease and comfort and prosperity and, and peace of mind right now. So we ought to remember in the pleasant times to be thankful for the designer of our path. To express to him our gratitude for the sweet parts of the path of life. But also when we come to these difficult parts of our pathway whether they're near or far in the future, we also need to learn, uh, when we look to the designer of our path, we need to learn to be content with what he has laid out before us. To seek to be okay with it, to embrace it, to have a contentedness. Because when Christ designs your path, when he designed it in eternity past, he designed it in wisdom. He didn't just haphazardly throw your life together and say, well, kind of put this person here, this person here, and this trial here, and this difficulty here. He did it on purpose. And he did it wisely. I was thinking about mothers again. And when mothers have multiple children, they have to deal with those children in different ways, don't they? There's no cookie-cutter way to deal with each child. That you know the ins and outs of their hearts and minds. And you know ways to talk to them and speak to them and care for them. And our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus are the same with us. That they know the particular bends of our heart. They know the things that we need. 
They know the things that others need around us who are on paths with us or nearby us. And they craft a life, a path of life in wisdom for us. And we are called to trust them as we walk down it. We'd be wise to remember when we are in places of of prosperity, we would be wise to remember that there's dangers that come along with that. That we always want pleasant parts of life, pleasant pathways and easy, bright paths before us. But there are dangers there. Dangers of feeling self-sufficient. Dangers of forgetting our God, forgetting our Savior, forgetting our need for Him. And we ought to remember when we are in those times of suffering that there are actually sweet parts and sweet effects that God can work in the dark parts of our paths that He doesn't in the bright parts. That that He can teach us to have maturity, to have perspective, to hold the things of this world more loosely, to be more in prayer, to be more humble before our Creator. We need to learn to be content with the path our designer has made for us, that he has crafted for us. We need to be trusting because his path for your life, if you are a believer especially, was designed for you in love. It was designed for you out of love for you. God did not create a path with difficulty for you to make you suffer, to, to watch you squirm, to see you, uh, to see you in trials and difficulties. He takes no delight in that. But he crafted that path for you in love. We would be wise to remember that the path of Jesus led to a cross for our sake. Like So when he deals us difficult paths, when he lays out a difficult terrain for us, he is doing it out of love and we can know that because he walked down a way more difficult path for us. He walked down a path towards the cross, like suffering for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that at the end of our path someday, there is sweetness. There is a return to our creator, not to hell. And we can know that the path that he has crafted for us was crafted in love. It was crafted in wisdom. It was designed in love for us. It is his will, whatever lies ahead of us. But thankfully, as he continues talking to Peter here, he doesn't just end by saying, what is that to you, does he, in verse 22. He says this common refrain at the end of verse 22 where he says, you follow me. And what I think we can see in this text is that Christ is more than just the designer of our path. He's more than just the author and the designer of the path of the future. We see that he is also our companion on the path. He is the one who joins us on the path. Who doesn't just lay it out before us and say, good luck. Like I crafted this specially for you. Good luck. I'll see you at the end. He, he says here to Peter a very personal statement. He says emphatically, you follow me. You, Peter. Like, I'm not right now in this moment calling everybody else to follow me. Although he does at times, he's saying, Peter, you follow me. And I believe that the Lord would want to say to some in this room today, very personally to you, not just to the masses, but to you as an individual, you follow me. Like, don't just think that it's enough to, to be amongst other Christians, to be with uh, the son or daughter of a Christian mom. You follow me. Like, walk down the path that I've laid out for you. You follow me. He commands you to do that. Just like he did to Peter. He says, you follow me. And he says that as the Lord of the universe, one who died upon the cross for your sins, one who offers you forgiveness. He says, you 
follow me. It's this personal call to each of us to follow Christ, to intimately follow behind him. And if any of our paths are going to lead to eternal life, they will be ones that we're following Jesus. There are no paths that lead to eternal life where we just follow our own lead, where we design our own paths. If our roads are going to lead to eternal life, they must be lives of following Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus is more than just a commander of that. Like, follow me, follow me, like, a, like it's some firm command. He, he says it as someone who's willing to be a companion on the path as we do it, who, who's willing to walk with us, to, to walk ahead of us closely. Jesus, notice here to Peter, he doesn't say, Peter, you follow my example. Peter, you follow my teachings. He doesn't say those things, does he? He could say those, and he does other places. But he says, you follow what? Follow me. It's a, this personal call, follow me, Peter. Yes, that's going to entail obedience to certain commands, but follow me. I will be with you as you do this, as you walk down this path, as you, Peter, come to the point even where you will be crucified for me. I will be with you. Keep following me. I was thinking about this. Um, I am not a good runner, but I run occasionally. I used to run more. And I ran the mini marathon in Indianapolis a few times uh, years ago. And I was just lucky to finish the thing, uh, to be upright when I did. But there were some people who really impressed me uh, who could, they could run the whole race. It was 13 miles. They could, and we would all go on the same path. They would run the race, finish the race way before me, obviously, and then they would come back. They would run back on the path, sometimes along the outskirts, and come find one of their loved ones or one of their friends who was a lot worse of a runner, and then they would run with them. That They would run with them to the finish line. They had already run the race themselves, but they would come back, and they would run alongside those ones who were weaker and they would say, essentially, by their presence and their words, say, I know the way. I've already done it, but I'm going to be with you. Follow behind me, and we'll make it to the end. That's the type of following that Jesus calls us to do. It's not just shouting, like, follow me from heaven, because I've already run the race. I've already made it here, and good luck with it. I'll see you at the end. By his Holy Spirit, he is in heaven right now, at the right hand of God the Father. But he has sent his spirit to live within us as his people to be with us every step, to be with us every minute, to be with us every day, every week, through the bright spots, but through the difficult spots, through the times when we're tempted to bail, when we're tempted to desert the Lord. He, by his Holy Spirit, is with us and continues to say, follow me, I'm right here with you. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Praise God that he is not just a commander to follow him, but he is our companion as we do follow him, as we obey this should give us courage. This should give us courage when we come to parts of our life or even when we anticipate parts of our life that are dark. When we come to parts of our life where we just see a straight uphill or we see a cliff or we see fires, or we, there's, there's darkness looming. Those are the times that we must remember that he is with us. He didn't just design this pathway coldly for us, but he is our companion on the path right there with us. There are things that we legitimately at times can be afraid of. We fear failure in our work or in other endeavors of life. We fear poverty. We fear loneliness. We fear death. 
Mother's Day, I think, as we fear childlessness. We fear for the children God has given to us, their futures. We fear for our health. We fear political futures. We fear wars. We fear all sorts of things in life. So my mind was drawn to Psalm 23 this week, verse 4. At the beginning of that psalm, that's very familiar with us, uh, the psalmist talks about how God uh, makes him lie down beside green pastures and leads him beside still waters. But in verse 4, he says this, and some of you may be able to finish this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then what does he say? For you are with me. That's why he can put fear to death, is because God is with him in that God is with him in that dark spot of life. God is with him in his grief. And the same is true of us if we're united with Jesus, that Christ is with us in those moments, in those seasons, in those long stretches of life. At times, he is with us. He is not absent from us. And that ought to give us courage to face the things that we're afraid of. No, he brought this to me, and he's brought me to this. And he's with me and will be with me through every minute of it. I was thinking of, of moms again. I, I keep trying to think of mom illustrations. I was thinking of, uh, I've gotten to see Stephanie do this, and I, I remember even when I was a kid, uh, when it would come time, for example, to get a shot at the doctor, I would be afraid, afraid, afraid. <laughs> but you know what helped me was my mom going with me. My mom holding my hand and letting me squeeze her hand. Her presence gave me courage. It gave me a willingness to go through what to me was a hard thing. And the same is true on a cosmically bigger scale that when we come to difficulties in life and we're afraid that we can know that Christ is with us. That he is saying, you can do this. I will help you. We will make it through this. He is the companion we have along the path. And this ought to, remembering he's our companion on the path, should give us courage, but it could also give us endurance. It should also give us the willingness to press on down the path, to keep taking the next step, to keep doing the next thing in obedience to him. I've loved going through John. I think it's no coincidence that way back even in John chapter 1, Jesus told Philip, uh, and this was an example of what he said to other disciples, he said, follow me, chapter 1. And then here in chapter 21 to Peter, after the cross, after the resurrection, he said, Peter, you follow me. That there is a perseverance that needs to take place in our life. When he calls us to follow him and to trust him, to obey him, he doesn't just call us to do that once as a child or as a young adult and then, okay, I'm good. He calls us day by day by day, year by year by year, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. He will tell you that till the day that you die, and then he will say, follow me to glory. That we are called to endure in obedience to him. And that is hard when we get into these dark spots of life. But we can hear the Lord speaking to us, follow me. Keep following me. You've you've come this far. Keep following me. I'm with you. I will help you. We will make it to the end. I've already been there. And I'm taking you there. Keep following me. It should give us endurance when we're tempted to bail on him, when we're tempted to desert him. We come to the very end of this book, the last few verses. Uh, I I was thinking uh, it's appropriate as we come to the very end to at least very quickly look back at the book and to look forward in the future of our own lives. As John ends his record of the life of Jesus here, in verse 24 he says, 
uh, that this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who's written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. I appreciate that because uh, as we look back over the course of John, some of us have been here every Sunday, some of us this is our first time, but if that's you, you can read back through this book of the Bible later, and maybe you'd be well served to do that. But as you look back through the Gospel of John, we can remember that we saw true things about Jesus. John, the man who wrote this, saw these things. But he watched them happen. He heard Jesus say these things. He watched him do these things, and he recorded them for us to know they're true. That he was an eyewitness to them. They're not just made up, fanciful stories. These are true things that an eyewitness has recorded for us. But even more than that, I would say that we have seen amazing things about Jesus. Not just true things about him, but amazing things about Jesus. First, we saw that he became a human. That's amazing enough. That God the Son entered into our humanity. He became a human being. But we've read about how Jesus taught us about the Heavenly Father. Taught us about his love for sinners like us. We saw that him teach things about himself. Do you remember the I am statements that he made several times through John? He said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. He gave us all these images about who he was and what he'd come to do, what he can do for us. We saw him perform miracles. Some of you remember these. We saw that he and the eyewitnesses saw as he turned water, large quantities of it, into wine at the wedding feast. That he healed various people of ailments, some that had been their entire lives long. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He raised people from the dead. And most of all, we see what all this book was bending towards is that he suffered upon the cross for us. That he took our sins upon himself, suffering the punishment that should come to us. And he's laid in a grave, having suffered the full weight of God's judgment, and then he was resurrected never to die again. We have seen amazing things about Christ, but we did not learn everything about Christ, did we? I love how John ends, verse 25. He says that, now there are many, also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. That's kind of an awkward ending in our day and age, but I love that. As, as John's saying, Jesus did so much stuff, like I could write books after books after books after books, and it still wouldn't even scratch the surface. And he's just known in three years. He's saying he has done so much that the mind can't even comprehend. I love that at the beginning of John, he was called the Word. And at the end of John, it's communicated us that words can never fully explain him. That, that he is beyond description. We've learned true things. We've seen absolutely true things about him. But we don't know and never will know everything about him. We will forever be learning about him, reveling in who he is and what he's done in our life. Things we don't even realize in the lives of others we don't even realize in the world that we don't even realize. We will be learning about him for eternity. The book of John is just scratching the surface. Our paths are leading somewhere in life. They're, they're, they're leading somewhere, and I think it's appropriate for us to look to the future. There's a lot on each of our paths as individuals and as a church that are unknown. But there are some things that are known. 
there are some things that we do know. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, it's kind of the inverse of, of real life with our real eyes, at least for most of us. When we, we can see things close up, but the things that are far away, we either can't see at all or they're very fuzzy to us. It's the exact opposite for the life of the Christian. That the, the things that are up close, that are in the future, I don't know all those things. You don't know all those things. But the things that are far off, the things that are at the end of our path, we know those. We see those clear as day. That someday our Lord Jesus will return. Someday he will come back. Someday he will raise me from the dead. He will raise you from the dead. And we know that all of our paths, they're different twists and turns. They end at the judgment seat of Jesus. And then there's only going to be two endings. There's going to be an ending of eternal life, and there will be an ending of eternal judgment. We know those things. And Christ calls us now, follow me on the path that leads to life. Put your trust in me. Turn from your sins. Get off the path you have been walking on and walk on mine. And I promise you that it will end in eternal life. I have died for you and been raised for you. Come with me. I wanted to end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon before we sing our closing song. He was imagining life as a path uh, that, that had a lot of twists and turns and unknowns. I'll, I'll define one word here, and then I'll read this. If you don't know what a commissary is in the last section, it's kind of like in military terms where, when there's a base of, of operation. A commissary is where things, where provisions come from, food, things like that, where it, they supply the people who need them as they need them. I love this quote. He says this, looking ahead to, to our unknown future. He says, We have great demands, but Christ has great supplies. Between here and heaven, we may have greater wants than we have yet known, but all along the journey, every resting place is ready. Provisions are laid up, good cheer is poured, and nothing has been overlooked. The commissary of the eternal is absolutely that's a beautiful reminder to us that Christ knows what our path has in store. He's designed it. But he's ready for us too. And he's going to accompany us even through those dark times, those dark seasons of life. He will accompany us. He will be with us. We can remember that whatever he wills, will be. Amen.